Welcome to Permission Granted. I'm your host, Krista Resnick. I'm a master coach who empowers women to be an expression of their purpose, of their passions, their gifts, and stand in the truth of who they are. Here's the truth. The life that you seek and deserve, all of that starts with granting yourself permission. Permission to say no without guilt, to let go of the busy addiction and slow down. Permission to stop hiding and let yourself be seen and heard. Permission to release the self-judgment and celebrate yourself. Permission to embrace that the healthiest choice you can make is prioritizing you. You hold the pad with all the permission slips. So let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Permission Granted. Today's guest, Dr. Del Rey, opens up and shares with us so vulnerably and authentically her story of really approval and seeking her worth in how hard she worked. I saw myself in so much of her story, despite the fact that our circumstances were different in so many ways. And my guess is that you will see yourself at points in Dr. Del Rey's story as well. She's going to walk us through that story. She unpacks it so, so beautifully. So I won't go into that into the introduction, but truly her desire is to give women permission to believe that they can design their life through their authenticity and who they really are, not who they think they're supposed to be. Del Rey empowers women to believe that they can overcome every limiting belief that has been interwoven into their system. As a single mom, she is very passionate about helping women in social impact entrepreneurship, and she helps people find lasting fulfillment through service and volunteerism through natural disaster relief work. Her current projects include school gardens, promoting positive mental health through contribution. She's very, very big on giving back. I love that about her. And she's also very passionate about creating a team of servant leaders who really desire making a difference in the world. So before I dive into my interview with Dr. Del Rey, consider, do you have ways in which you cope with big emotions? When a big emotion surfaces, What action do you typically take? Perhaps it's eating, shopping, overworking, overdrinking, numbing on social media. Those are just to name a few. How has your childhood, no matter how healthy or unhealthy, impacted some of the ways in which you cope? Do you fully accept who you are? Or do you spend a lot of time being who you think you need to be in order to be accepted? 
Do you have someone in your life who can hold your story and help you grow? Do you have the support of people who see your highest potential? Or are you hanging around people who only see you for your worst day? Are you currently going through a season that is stretching you? And if you are, who are you becoming as you go through the process of learning something new and being stretched? And what step might you begin to take to unravel the story of who you think you need to be so that you can actually start accepting who you truly are? Friends, I hope that you enjoy this interview with Dr. Delray. Dr. Delray, thank you so much for being on this episode today. We are so glad to have you here. Can't wait, Krista. Oh, it's going to be a good one. We are talking about extreme ownership, responsibility, emotional intelligence, and anything, resilience, anything else that, you know, kind of comes into the conversation. So (laughs) one thing I know about you to be true is you are all about giving back. You are all about taking responsibility for your life, for your choices. You are all about leadership. You are all about ownership. I mean, so many of those things just land so hard for me. I love, love, love all of those things, but I'm going to guess that you did not just pop out of the womb with all of those things as strong points in your life? No, not at all. They were absolutely developed over time and experience. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that. I know you were raised in a very small town and, you know, lived life as a a farm girl. Yes. So I grew up in Southwestern North Dakota in a really small town that did not have a stoplight, only a stop sign. And because there was a T in the road, half of the people were my cousins, 34 in my graduating class, um, 45 miles from a town with groceries. So now you can kind of visualize (laughs) where I grew up. Yes. And I mean, I have, I'm so grateful for a lot of the experiences that I had. I have work ethic, family. I was really taught values and character and how important those things were. But the challenging parts um, were the things that I discovered the older I got with more life experience. Like don't shine too bright. Don't dream too big. Don't speak too loud. Don't ruffle anyone else's feathers. Um, Become a chameleon in your belief system so you please everyone else around you. And it wasn't until I kind of faced the woman in the mirror seven years ago that I realized I had really acted out a lot of the limiting belief systems in the environment that I grew up in. Um, So I always share my story with a lot of gratitude because it really shaped who I was in both ways. And I think all of us can work on dropping labels for events and experiences in our life and start to look back at how they shaped us. And it really did. And I'm really grateful I wasn't naturally talented at much, to be honest. (laughs) I was the oldest of four, um, really great parents. I mean, I'd say very encouraging. And I always say I won the lottery because I know not everyone has that upbringing. But with that, they were also trying to unravel generational experiences. And, you know, mental health was not talked about. Emotions were shoved down with more farm work. And I think that that kind of experience and what they had trickled down to us as well. And it wasn't until I started to face some really challenging times in my life that I realized I was I was suffering and struggling on the inside and I did not have any way of asking for help because I literally didn't think that was an option because people that went to counselors were 
um, there was something wrong with them. Um, you know, anything with mental health was taboo and you were crazy. So I really had to start reframing a lot of that um, in my, in when I, when I had unexpected life events happen. So I ended up running on a track and cross country scholarship because I knew that athletics and academics were going to be my out <laughs> because I had parents that necessarily couldn't afford college. I wanted to be the role model for my um, siblings that you could put, set your mind to something, do it, and then take that kind of burden off of my, my parents. The challenge with that is I wasn't naturally talented and I started to really identify my worth and value in achievement. And so the harder I tried, the better I did, the more worth and value I found in anything outside of me to validate it. And so I worked very hard at sports and school, and I thought that's really all I was in my identity. So about three years into college, I found out I was pregnant when I was 20. Mm. And that was the big shift in my life because I assumed I would have um, acceptance and like a support system. And I just realized things happen. Like I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. And at the time, two months before that, I had been accepted to chiropractic school, told my parents that I was going, I, I was so excited to pursue a doctorate, kind of the first in our family. And this happens. And so I was told, you know, you don't, you don't really belong unless you're married, <laughs> you know, so fix this, make it right, make yourself right, because, you know, now you're unworthy of so many things. If you're unwed, um, I was cast out of really family, um, community and church, especially. And so I started to really identify with that. I started to look at myself as a mistake because so many people looked at me like a mistake. Um, and I, I was told, you know, make it right, stay home, take care of the baby, get married, and this is what your life should look like. And just deep down, I knew that wasn't where I wanted to be. And again, I don't judge anybody's experience that chooses that because we all have different callings. My heart was just calling me to still go to school. Now, that was to the big city of Minneapolis that I don't know if you've ever, you know, been here, but there's four lanes in traffic. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> absolutely coming, I, coming I white knuckle through all four lanes mm -hmm. <laughs> coming from a small town that was a little intimidating I remember my first day of graduate school I had my daughter in the back seat screaming if you have a three-month-old she was three months old the first day I started you know that that sound number one traffic I look in my passenger seat and I have 35 credits and a doctorate and I got home and I was like what did you do like, you know, I wonder if I can get my money back. Like what, this is the first time I really doubted myself. And I kind of started to listen to all of the, the stories that I have been told of like, you're not going to do this. You're going to fail. It's going to be too hard. Yeah. And I got a book in the mail called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, um, by the chiropractor that inspired me to be one. And it changed my world because just like I did with sports and academics, like taking it one day at a time, um, I decided it was just going to be again, one day at a time. I had learned success principles that really transcended to that time. And so I got through school, got my munchkin, you know, through school and started an office, but I didn't realize during that time I was drowning in, in self-sabotage. I had entered so many unhealthy relationships. I did not like who I saw in the mirror. She was embarrassed, ashamed, 
Um, she felt like a failure in everything that she did. She felt like a mistake. She had so much guilt and shame interwoven into her body. I had so many unhealthy symptoms like gut health challenges, migraines, horrible fatigue. And I just thought it was, oh, what I'm eating, how I'm moving my body. I didn't realize how much of it was stored trauma. And again, I didn't feel like I could ask for help. So I did what a lot of people do when we cope, because we all cope in some way with our feelings of unworthiness and not enoughness. And mine just so happened to be something that society accepts, which is why I never judge if you're listening to this and you're coping the past year and a half or maybe even in your life has been unhealthy relationships like mine was. Or maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's sex, maybe it's there's so many different ways that we cope. It's just some unfortunately are more accepted than others. And mine was work. I'm going to drown all these feelings in work and I'm going to achieve and prove to people that I am worth something if I am successful. So my life became the when then game. When I reach this level of income, then I'll be happy. When I meet this person, then I'll be happy. When I, and if you've ever played the when then game and you know, especially living in our country, there's always going to be more because that's what we're conditioned to believe. You're never going to be happy. There's never a destination you're going to reach and be able to feel worthy and enough in who you are until you recognize that, until you start to unravel the trauma, the shame, the guilt, the experiences that got you there in the first place. So my pivoting moment was seven years ago and I was looking in the mirror. I entered a really unhealthy relationship because I was unhealthy and it's really all I felt I deserved. Both of us, when I see it now, we were just, acting out our inner child trauma. Like we just found each other at that time where both of us were heightened in all of our inner child trauma. And I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I thought now the reason why I was scared to leave is because now I'm a single mom with two daughters from two different dads. And did I ever think that was going to be the plan? No, but it got so bad that I thought to myself, what people think could never influence who I am for my girls right now. And I hated who I was Mm. for my girls. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like I didn't think I would actually get emotional right now. And I was going to say, I can still see the, the pain that, that comes up and the emotion that comes with that. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter's going to be 18 this week. And maybe it's that because our relationship is what suffered the most when I was really a child raising a child. And so I've had to practice a lot of self-forgiveness, grace. Mm -hmm. I just didn't even know what those were. And our relationship is so beautiful now because of it. So a lot started to shift seven years ago when I made that decision to take radical responsibility and ownership of my life. Because the question I asked myself is, okay, if you don't like all of these outcomes, who's the common denominator? she's you and she is the one that needs to change in order for anything else to change I was financially so stressed I had so much student loan debt 
I was living the paycheck to paycheck. I did not think I'd ever be able to even buy a home for my girls. I was the one that was like passing by the flowers at the grocery store, like, oh, what would it like feel like to just buy flowers for the table? Um, I was on WIC groceries with her, you know, when I had her, my older daughter. And I remember just wanting organic blueberries for my girls and like just different experiences that I didn't get to have as a kid because cows don't milk themselves. So I was dreaming big, but I still didn't have a vehicle to be able to live out that purpose until I met a woman that came into my life and shared the partnership that I have now with the holistic health and well-being company. Wow. Wow. That is such a powerful story. And first of all, I just have to say, thank you for your honesty. I feel like you just, even by sharing your story, you set so many women free right now. That's my hope. Right. You gave them permission to start digging into and unpacking their traumas, their stories, the lens in which they view the world and looking themselves in the mirror and going, okay, am I really satiated with where I'm at? Am I really waking up in the morning, just excited to extract the juice out of this day? And if not, where can I go to receive maybe some support and help and mentorship and healing? So thank you. Thank you for that. And I relate so much to your story. And maybe that's, you know, maybe just energetically, we're a little connected (laughs) because I as well was a young mom. I was a little bit older than you, you know, 23, But I relate to that story so much. And I think so many of my listeners will as well of that chasing the carrot. It's like, I always say, it's like, there's this carrot sort of like attached to your forehead, just dangling out in front of you and you can't quite reach it. And the target just keeps moving and moving. And the carrot just keeps getting further and further away. And you can't quite ever grasp it. It's that, what did you say? When, what, when then game. Yeah. The when then game, the chasing the carrot game. Yeah, I mean, we're really conditioned. We're conditioned in our country, especially to, I mean, there's a reason why companies capitalize on our insecurities and make us feel less than because we buy more. We try and consume to make up for our lack of worthiness and again, enoughness. And what would happen if we were enough without the, you know, white picket fence and house that we think we have to have to impress the neighbors or the car or like all the things and nice things are wonderful. I love nice things. I think abundance is beautiful, especially because you can circulate it for more good in the world. And, you know, I grew up with a mattress. I didn't even have a headboard. So the first time I bought a headboard, I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. So again, nice things are incredible. Never apologize for that. But when we, we value it, with our worth and the question you ask yourself is if you're if you are questioning whether you have low um, self-worth or high self-worth is who would i be without all of it and if you would still be fulfilled purpose-driven happy and understand that none of that defines you then you're in a good place but if you would be embarrassed shameful if your friends would leave because of it or you wouldn't have you know, a certain relationship, like that's when we need to start questioning what we've accumulated in our life, because that, that story is not true. And I teach my girls that I said, there's a reason why you're marketed to in a certain way. There's a reason why social media makes you feel less than 
it's designed to do so, so you consume more. And I think many people are actually waking up to that. I mean, I have a very minimalist lifestyle now. There's very little that makes me very happy, um, you know. And I and I think it, there's a show, The Hoarders, right? Like, there's a reason why we try to make up for what we lack inside with all the stuff on the outside. So that's a part I think of unraveling the stories of who we think we need to be and start actually accepting who we are. Yes. Yes. Oh, I just remember as you were you were talking one of my survival strategies was shopping. Totally. Spending. It's another void. Absolutely. Yeah. Another coping mechanism. It, yep. It's a total coping mechanism, survival resource, survival strategy, whatever you want to call it. But I just yep. remember, and I, w- I couldn't back then understand why I, I had this compulsion to spend money. It didn't matter what it was. It was just, it was like, I had to get it out of me. That, that thrill. Well, now I understand, of course, you know, I just wasn't living a purpose-driven life. I didn't have a lot of joy. I didn't love the woman in the mirror. So when those feelings would start to come up, it was, okay, how do I extinguish these feelings? And for me, that method happened to be shopping. Yeah, now, absolutely. I, now I can go into a store. One of my favorite things to do is to just enjoy and to feel the textures, just see all the different colors and to come out with nothing. It's okay if I come out with something because the energy behind why I'm purchasing is now different, but it's such a joy for me to come out with nothing and just be in the pure joy of enjoying again, the, the textures and the colors and the trends and just not feel that compulsion to extinguish any sort of big feeling or be looking for, well, if I have this outfit, then people will perceive. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where we're at. I mean, I I have, we could go into a whole hour of social media and how I feel about it. Um, You know, and I, I am very, very strict on boundaries. Um, I believe it's a great platform to be able to inspire, educate, empower, um, but it's also done a lot of harm. And we now know that's proven. Um, and it's because it's constantly in our face, there's a better life on the other side of a photo and you just really don't know the whole story. Um, and I've really taught my girls that to like ask a lot of questions. And if you really are thinking about what you're wearing is your worth or like other things, you're going to go down the carrot hole forever. And like that chase of, of more and more is never going to end. And so if anybody is on here and these are some of your coping mechanisms, we could talk about so many, I mean, emotional late night eating, I found through therapy, I did that because I was a young mom and everybody else in my class in graduate school was going out, having fun, partying, and I'm home with a three-month-old. And so I coped that way. And it was a habit that stuck with me for a very long time. And my point in sharing that story and like many of these, and thank you for sharing yours with shopping, is that if you're listening and you have any shame about your choices previously, where you're at, and feel like it's too late, or you're not enough, or you can't seek help because you'd actually have to say out loud what it is that you've been doing to cope, just know that that first step is actually what it takes to start healing, recognizing it, and taking ownership of it, and not having shame about it. 
is number one, because once I was able to do that, I realized there was so much more control I had in my life and healthy coping once I could actually understand why I was doing it. Because once you unravel the why that it usually comes from childhood experience, from trauma, our behavior is simply following a belief system and neuroscience in our brain that is making us choose that behavior. And it gives you this sense of freedom that, wow, like I'm not that much different than a lot of other people that are coping, you know, in some way. I call it the easy button. If you've ever, remember the Staples easy button, right? Can you picture it? Yep. They're easy buttons out. So rather than face what we've deemed as taboo in our society, like mental health, emotional well-being, we easy button out with these coping mechanisms. And there's a reason why, you know, fad diets and self-help books and exercise programs and New Year's resolutions are like these massive consumer, you know, driven products and consumed in in so many ways yet we're in the same place we are more depressed than ever before more anxious than ever before are it's trickling into younger and younger generations we're unhealthy we're unhappy but we're in a a, a country where we literally have everything so yeah. why is that mm. and it's i believe because of this foundation of not actually being real and vulnerable enough to say how we're really doing on the inside <laughs> because yeah. you got to put on the masks in order to be accepted by society yeah. or there's something wrong with you. And so my passion is to not motivate anybody on here or even, I mean, I inspiration, that's a little bit better, but my purpose I believe is to empower you. Empowerment is different because motivation is so short it's, it's short. And it, you look at somebody so you're like, well, that's good for you. I'm really happy you're at where you want to be because I'm not, right? And it's not very exciting. You can't really see yourself in someone else's story. Empowerment is different. Empowerment is saying, this person is actually willing to share the hardest parts of their life story so that you can understand that you can relate, that you're accepted, seen, heard, and valuable. You're enough and worth it to be able to see something different for your life, that no one is above you. No one, I don't care what my titles are. <laughs> like they're just titles. It, now bios actually are a struggle for me because I just want to tell you, I'm a human, just like you having an experience. I just may have more of it and a lot of healthy coping mechanisms, resources, and tools that I've accumulated over the years to be able to hand some over to you and say, how can I help you during this time? And no, you're not too late. And when I first started what I'm doing now, seven years ago, my why was to empower other women to know they're always enough, they're always valuable. And I wanted to provide resources for health and well being and simplify that because it's so challenging. We very rarely look at self care. As, as something healthy in our country. I'm trying to change that where we need to take care of ourselves first and not feel shameful about that. Set boundaries, like that's a new concept for a lot of people because we're so used to being people pleasers. But the other one is to really help more women become financially independent because I'd never wanted a woman to be in a position I was where she couldn't afford to leave something that was not serving her anymore. Yeah. And more independence in that area for more choice. 
And that's what I wanted to, to teach my girls is I believe financial independence is one of the most important tools that we can have because we have choice and it's our time. <laughs> it's our time in that area. We have so much value to offer. And if you're thinking, yeah, I know I'm not too late. I don't know. And I'm like, never think that because if you can live one day with passion and purpose and the type of impact that you want to make and pursue it, it's literally worth it. You're never too late if you you literally live one day of your life like that. So don't stop on your dreams. You're never too late. You're always enough. There's so many tools and resources and people to help you um, really have a life that you actually desire. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, I was actually thinking about this this morning, oddly enough, we're never done. Healing, no, growing, <laughs> evolving. And, and for me, that's incredibly exciting. That, that just makes me so excited. Like, Ooh, I get to go even deeper as much work as I've done. I know I haven't arrived. And the day I arrive is the day that I'm six feet under. So you might as well get to work and start looking at, you know, the ways in which you're showing up that just are not full of joy and pleasure and, and passion and purpose. It doesn't matter if, like you said, you're 23 or 73, let's get moving because there's always more. And you're always going to be once you start doing another level and another layer. So let's just put that shame out on the table, bring it to the light and start to heal and just get moving. I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk real quick. You know, you mentioned shame and you also mentioned a mentor coming mm -hmm. into your life. And I think those two things go together so beautifully because when we bring our shame into the light with another human being that supports us and empowers us, and by the way, I'm so on your train with that. I am not here to motivate anybody. I'm no, by no means anybody's guru or it, like you said, inspiring. It's a little better, but I don't even like that. I am here to empower you because when God breathed his breath of life into you, he said you were good. And these things are your birthright to be confident, to be compassionate, to be creative, to be courageous, all of those beautiful things and more. But anyway, when we bring our shame into the light with another human being that can really hold us, I think that is where we can really start to, to heal. So talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like for you with a mentor. Absolutely. So I want to share with you who I was at that time and what was going through my mind. So hopefully anybody you know, listening can relate to that because again, having experienced, you know, what most people would consider abundant success and the most fulfilling relationships, like where my life is now is such a contrast to seven years ago. I was feeling more than shame. I was so embarrassed. I felt like a failure because I had multiple failed relationships, multiple failed businesses. I was looking at everything the wrong way. I was looking at it like it had to be an outcome of achievement versus an actual life experience of gaining more progress and moving forward. So when I was in a safe space to be able to share this, I still lacked a lot of confidence and self-doubt. I had a lot of self-doubt. I had very low self-esteem because when you are in sometimes an emotionally abusive relationship, you start to believe it. 
Um, and so I had this opportunity in front of me and I had a mentor and maybe this may feel like where you all are today too. Okay, I have opportunity. It's, it's, there's so much opportunity. I have women that really wanna help me, but why can't I take the first step? Like, why am I stuck? Stuckness is a word that so many women that I mentor come to me with. I feel stuck. I feel paralyzed by fear. I feel frustrated. I feel like I don't have enough tools and resources. I don't feel like I can do this. And so I started to ask myself different questions and that really helped me reframe it. And so I looked at where I was at and I was like, actually, you have a lot of experiences and skills that can transfer to this. What are you good at? What are your strengths and how can those transfer? Confidence, confidence is developed as we know through repetition and experience, right? Once we have clarity on a skill set that we wanna develop, we need repetition. I'll give you an example. I was not a naturally talented athlete. I shared that with you, but here's how bad it was. I got lapped by the first place runner, the first two mile that I ran in eighth grade. I decided I wanted to be a runner because my dad was, he was highly influential in my life. He's wonderful. He taught me a lot of these principles. And so if he would have said, well, go out and practice and go and run two miles as fast as you can. And if I would have died the same way I did the first race, I would have been done. But instead he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to run a hundred meters at a time. And I want you to then go a little bit further and add a hundred meters to it every day that you run. And so by the end I was running, you know, the first six mile run I was ever going to run. And he goes, I'm so proud of you. Like your progress that you've made your consistency. I became more confident every time I had a small win and so he would literally take a water bottle to mile marker three and I'd run to the water bottle. He's got, he's like, you got the water bottle. Like that's what your goal is and then run back. So he taught me that small wins are allow us to be able to gain confidence and anyone can do that. Just think of one skill set you, you skill set you developed or something that you took on that was really uncomfortable and unfamiliar when you started but you, you were passionate about it and you followed through with consistency. My daughter's trying the cello right now. This is what I'm trying to teach her. Every day, practice consistency and you're gonna build confidence to be able to play in the recital. This is what we've lost because we look at everybody else and we compare our beginning to everyone else's ending. And if you can actually find joy in those beginner steps, so my challenge to you is if you were like me when, you were, when I was first starting this seven years ago and you feel stuck, I want you to do one thing that scares the crap out of you. And it's something new, but something you, you, that's uncomfortable, but that you have wanted to try. And I don't care if it's like hip hop dance lessons, which I also tried over COVID. Um, I don't care if it is an instrument you've never played, if it is a different type of fitness class, if it is anything different, unique, but fun and exciting, I want you to go do it. And I want you to do it repetitively. And suddenly you're going to be a boss and confident at it. Mm -hmm. So you can take any concept in life and apply it to that. And that's what I did. I got super crystal clear on what my goal was going to be. And my goal finally was not based on achievement. It was based on who I was going to become in the process of progress of learning something new. And the most important thing that I did that has had the highest amount and biggest impact in my girls' lives, um, lives and the value that, that I've added to their lives is I included them on the journey. I told them vulnerably the hard days that I had. 
I told them experience that I had in entrepreneurship. I told them whose lives I was impacting. They know most of the women that I mentor by first name. They know their voice. Um, they know their story. I included them on the journey and I wanted to role model to them that not every day is mom gonna feel like doing this. Not every day is it going to work out. There was going to be a lot of challenges and struggle and there were certain times that I needed to prioritize. I never use the word sacrifice. I don't think we should have it in our language with work and our family because prioritizing is much different. It's yeah. intentional. Yeah. Um, sacrifice comes at a cost and we don't yes. need to have costs anymore. Like our health and our family should never be a cost for our work. Um, I believe you can absolutely do both with complete harmony, joy, and fulfillment. And I've I wanted to prove that to women. So my desire was to give women permission to believe that they could design their life through their authenticity and who they are and literally overcome every self-limiting belief that been, had been interwoven into their experience previously. And so every time I had self-doubt, I, I would tell myself, you're not doing this for you. You're going to do it to give permission to the women that you'll be able to speak to once you have more experience on a podcast on October 3rd, right? With Krista. So I would reframe my fear because we have forgotten that our brains operate. 95% of our behavior operates in our brain's subconscious like 95 percent is autopilot from what we've experienced before age seven so you don't even know that most of your habits and most of your experience is on autopilot so seven years ago i started to do trauma work inner child work i started you know counseling um psychologist i did all of that because i needed to unravel who i thought i was to become who I, I really am. And it was the most beautiful process. And let me tell you, it's seven years. It doesn't happen overnight. And that's no. why you need to give yourself grace. Yeah, Like you're not yeah. always going to get it right, but every step forward is so important. And having a mentor, you know, was really important, but I honestly outgrew mentorship very quickly and started mentoring women on my own because of how fast I grew myself. Um, and it wasn't necessarily just at an income level or a level of achievement. Women desired to be in my company because they felt safe and they felt accepted. Yes. And they See, felt like I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't trying to convince them of anything. I wanted to empower them in their journey and choose what their next steps were. Yeah. And so that's a big difference. There's a lot of opportunity out there, but if somebody's trying to convince you that what they do is for you always, I usually run the other direction. Yes. I always say, let's discover what's a fit for you or not. Let's discover what your journey looks like with joy, not mine, because ours may not be the same and that's okay. So I think that's also giving people permission to start thinking differently and that they don't have to fit into a box that they thought they had to before. Maybe you take bits and pieces from other people or mentors or even this podcast you know, where you can then start to develop a different life story. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. And it's so interesting. You know, you, you said something that I'm chewing on these days a <laughs> lot is that 
it's, you know, there's some areas where we move really fast in our healing and our growth. And then there's other areas where I really believe you got to grow slow to grow deep, especially when it does come to some of these survival resources that we have leaned on for 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 years. That takes time to unravel. I love that you use that word takes time to unravel some of those survival strategies and really lean into something that is healthy. Yes. And it's going to be uncomfortable. Our brain goes back to familiar because that's what it knows. Like our survival mechanism is familiar. It doesn't like change and it doesn't like uncertainty and that our brain like And if you can start to actually accept that and say, oh, wow, I'm actually not that much different than really anyone else. I have fear. Oh my goodness. So do I, right? So we all have it. It's a matter of what tools and resources have you developed to reframe it? So if you actually are always going to be uncomfortable, because that's what neuroplasticity is, our brain has the ability to change It is the most powerful research that we have now along with gut health. And yes, I am a total geek when it comes to our health, especially the brain, because it is, I mean, we're just discovering how powerful our thoughts are and how powerful and how much control we actually have over what happens to us. We can reframe experiences into opportunities to really grow and we can start to Neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to change and create a different pattern resulting in different behaviors and different habits. And it's why behavior modification has not worked well without actually working on the subconscious belief systems. So when we can't become more awake and aware and we work on our conscious brain, we can now choose how we respond to uncertainty and change. And if we think about the last year and a half of so much uncertainty, so much change and the turmoil that that's caused in mental health and emotional well-being emotional intelligence is one of my biggest passions to teach because our world won't slow down for you it's not going to slow down for your kids and this is actually now essential and it's what many corporations are focusing on is the actual human being versus just the human doing And if you're still a number in your work experience, we need to talk because your performance at the cost of your health and at the cost of your family and at the cost of everything in your life, but just work, it's just not worth it at the end. It's just not. And so we found this beautiful way to actually cope and process through emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence has many factors, but the top two that I use daily and teach my team is self-awareness separating you from your emotions. You are not your thoughts. You're the thinker of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You are not your emotions. And if you can become an observer and actually take yourself out of an emotional experience and decide how you want to respond and who you want to be in your story. And if you can self-regulate those emotions, you are going to overcome and become resilient in anything that happens in your lifetime. We're just not taught these principles. So I teach not only you know myself this daily, but my girls, my leadership team, and anybody that's really struggling to adapt because adaptability is something that so many employers are looking for. I find people that are the most adaptable have very healthy relationships and that are emotionally intelligent. 
Um, and they have this ability to be able to overcome adversity and come out stronger on the other side. And in fact, adversity and resilience has a physiological effect in our body, just like volunteering and contribution, which you know I'm extremely passionate about. So it changes our physiology by bringing down cortisol because our cortisol is released in our fight or flight mechanism. That's our reptilian survival brain. On the other side of that, when we choose these healthy coping mechanisms and start to, again, observe emotion and not become them, we can start to release healthy hormones in our body, lowering cortisol, and that starts to stimulate the brain for creativity, connection. Now, imagine this, the past year and a half, what's happened in our world where we have so many people living in fear. And what happened to the polarization and divide is so many people living in fear cuts off the connection and the creativity. That cuts off your ability to adapt and empathize with others. And when we lose the ability to empathize with others where we put ourselves into someone else's shoes because we're living in a state of fear, we become even more polarized and even more divided. So when we can bring down the emotional response and start to up level the and start to upregulate the other hormones that are much more healthier for coping, you start to become the change that we want to see in the world. Yeah. And this is what my passion is because we are leaving it up to everyone else when we are responsible for helping co-create the change that we want to see. If you want to see something different on the news, just like I do, then we all have to be a part of the answer. Yeah. Yeah. We are taught so many things, you know, how to read, how to write, how to brush our teeth, how to put our shoes on, tie our shoes, ride our bikes. And we're not taught how to emotionally regulate. And no. when you can really stop and pause and regulate yourself so that you can have that connection so that you can really lean into the power of choice. That is what changes the world. And it's so simple in theory, a little harder when, you know, I had a situation with my partner <laughs> the other night where he said something and I was offline Triggered, for like yeah. 15 seconds. And I do this work all day, every day and have been doing this work. But I'm telling you what, I went offline and went right into fight mode for about 20 seconds until I was able to catch myself. So I share that kind of vulnerably in that there's no such thing as perfect. We're never going to get it all the hundred percent of the time. That That's not even the point. It's, do we know how to regulate? Do we know how to create those containers where, you know, when you were even talking about your girls earlier, the repair work is so important. So do we know how to bring ourselves back into that place of felt safety and calm and regulation, knowing that, you know, we're never going to get it perfect, but just having those tools at our disposal and are we willing to take responsibility and ownership and do what's required of the repair work? So I love that. I also want to mention the work isn't done when everything is wonderful. So the past year and a half. I lost both of my grandparents. In the past um, couple of years, I've had a very close family member go through cancer treatment that left our whole family during the past year and a half extremely high risk and vulnerable. I am 
a human that loves people and connecting. So this could have completely derailed me to think about not being, we were quarantined for over a year and a half to the grocery store, pretty much. I love group fitness. I love humans and experiences and events. It's what I built my business on. And so one facing, you know, that having end of life conversations with somebody that you like would have never thought you'd have to, like, it just changes you and it shapes you in a different way. And what I do is take inventory of what I know is true. Yes, it's true. This is our reality right now. And then I say, what can I do to pivot and find joy in the way that I can still experience the same feelings just in a different way? So for example, we switched a lot of our events to virtual and I started focusing more on mental and emotional well-being. I still found ways to volunteer. I'm on the board of a nonprofit and we made baby dolls of diversity that I was able to help co-create for 2000 girls in Nepal, along with a book on prevention of human trafficking, because after natural disaster, that is a huge problem. Um, we wrote a book for children on COVID and how to mentally and emotionally process it. It won five international awards. My point is you always have a choice in how you can respond. And I know more than anyone that it's so easy to get into fear and, and think we don't have control. But the very things that are so simple, like I started to go for walks because I learned it helped me to emotionally process everything that I was experiencing. Now, the achiever in me previously would have been like, who walks anywhere so inefficient? Like you should be running, right? Like, or my, my workout had to have an outcome. Walks were my way of, it was my self-care. And I would listen to podcasts and Brene Brown is like my, you know, superhuman, incredible, empowering woman in my life that just speaks my language to like who we need to become for everybody else to have permission. And that simple activity of walking every day, I mean, literally, Krista, I bought like, you would laugh at me. I, I'm going to show you a picture. I bought a snowsuit to get out in the winter yeah. to walk because that's how healthy it was for me. Yeah. And mindfulness cards, these little things, again, when you talk about gaining confidence and certainty, it's the repetitive way that you have shifted how you cope. And again, it's unfamiliar. It's uncomfortable. Talking about your feelings is, I'll give you another example of just conversation I you know, have with my partner. I'm a words of affirmation love language, and he's a man of few words. So he knows that that's what makes me feel loved, yet he's really challenged at giving compliments. So I will once in a while say, hey, bucket's a little low on, on the words of affirmation list. And he'll be like, note it. You know, I'll say, I'm feeling insecure right now. I'm feeling, you know, that's my go-to. I'm feeling insecure right now. And he will know like that is his ticket to, okay, this is how she, I'm able to express my needs. And I think it's, it's so common for women to minimize their needs. Yeah. And well, then we don't we, even know what they are. We, we don't know what they are. We don't, we don't even know, know what, what our are. needs are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we become resentful and angry and we lash out at people that are literally the most meaningful people in our life because we, we don't know what we need. And I know what I need. And I've, I've shared that with him and he sees it, hears it, respects it, sometimes needs a reminder, but it works so well because 
He's just like, I've never had that before that somebody can actually tell me what they need. So that's another part of, I think, drawing boundaries. Uh, you know, we say yes to so much. I've learned, I have a very, I have a circle that's smaller and smaller of relationships, like meaningful relationships. We don't need quantity to have quality. And I've said no now more than ever before with zero guilt about it because it's just, thank you so much for the invitation, but tonight's not going to work. Like no is a complete sentence. Um, you know, so I also think that that's a factor in your, in, in your well-being and your ability to be able to navigate because you know what your self-care looks like so that you can go out into the world and be purposeful and impact driven because you've learned how to emotionally regulate yourself yeah. and it eliminates all of those thought processes in our head that take up the time where we could go be serving someone else. Yeah. I think it really, it all starts. The foundation is the emotional regulation piece. Absolutely. Because even the boundaries, a lot of women, they're just not able to say yes to themselves or no to whatever is being requested of them because all of a sudden, boom, they're dysregulated because of past childhood wounds, because of traumas, whatever it is, that now their window of tolerance, they're above it. And so they end up saying yes to one more thing. So for me, everything just goes back to that place of regulation and taking that moment and just pausing. And if you were never modeled boundaries, they're going to be super uncomfortable for you. I was never modeled boundaries. Like I grew up in a really, um, unfortunately too, um, positive, like toxic positivity of an environment Yeah. where, and if you're not familiar with this term, it's coming to light now, like toxic positivity is everything's going to be okay. You, you've got this, like not actually allowing you to express your feelings and emotions and bring them all to the table. Um, I was never able to do that. And so I drowned them all in toxic positivity. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm good. How many of us say that? And my, as beautiful as my mom is, she's like Mother Teresa. She didn't have any boundaries, had no idea how to, no self-care. So I was never modeled that in fact, the more of a martyr you were in motherhood, like the more praise you got because you sacrifice everything for your children and you get a, an award for that. Um, and, and I had to learn, I had to learn it. And I want my girls to be able to go into the world and say, wow, this is what I need. And it's beautiful because my older daughter is an introvert and she, she's learned this about herself. Now, clearly I'm not, um, but I have learned and she's learned in my environment. And when she's around me, she said, mom, it feels so good to be me. Mm. Like you don't try to make me someone I'm not. You accept that I don't want to socialize as much. I love alone time. I social settings give me anxiety. Like she, she has a small, small, small friend group, but very meaningful. And so I think there's a lot of us that have had to, to chameleon our whole life for our family, our surroundings. And we're just kind of discovering now, especially after the past year and a half of slowing down or kind of figuring out what's meaningful to us that, wow, you know, it is okay that I'm, I'm different than who I had to pretend to be before. And that will confuse some people. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we be okay with that? Yeah. Yep. Well, this was fantastic. We're going to put the links in terms of how people can get in touch with you in the show notes. As you know, the name of the podcast is Permission Granted. So one last question. Yes. Is there anything right now 
could be anything that you are giving yourself permission to, to be, to do, to have, or something you'd like to give yourself permission. Oh my gosh. Honestly, this is really meaningful. Um, I was so scared, Krista, to work on my next project of sexual well-being Mm -hmm. and permission to unravel those stories because of how I was raised with so much guilt and shame. Um, I was so scared. I put it off for five years now. I had a website for several years that I didn't even click live because I was so fearful of what other people would think. But I've had experiences um, that I never want my daughters to have. And they were because I wasn't taught boundaries or consent. Mm -hmm. And I never want any woman to go through that ever again. And, and young young women, young boys, anyone to, to, they, we need to start talking about the subjects that are taboo to start accepting that our lives could look completely different if we actually started talking about the tough topics. And this is one of them. Um, And our children are exposed to so much more now than they ever have before. So I want to be able to help be that co-pilot for them and help them navigate the world. And we can't do that by not talking about it. So I have, you know, dove into sexual well-being experiences virtually for education and empowerment purposes. Um, And then again, I always fundraise for causes that I'm passionate about and this event that I'm doing tomorrow night. And I have so many more. So you can definitely check out the website. I'm giving myself permission to share that part of my story now. And to stop being shameful and understand some people might not accept it. And that's okay. Just like mental health. But I feel it is an awakening that many women want. I think women are starting to think, well, why can't I also have pleasure? Why can't I also start to unravel the shame? And so that's what I am granting permission for myself lately. (laughs) That is beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. You're a world changer. Well, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for being here and for being on the show and just sharing your story so vulnerably. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are loving the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the show to get seen. And when the show gets seen, other women have an opportunity to do this work and learn how to prioritize themselves and their growth and healing too. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you for being a part of this community. And we'll see you next time.